Our topic for tonight is Revelations to Mysterious Martyrs. One of the most common questions relating to the book of Revelation is who are the two martyrs of Revelation or the two witnesses of Revelation? There's probably been more speculation about the identity of these two martyrs than perhaps any other of Revelation's symbols. But we're not going to just speculate tonight. We want to find out who they are. We read about them from Revelation 11, verses 1 through 3. If you're taking notes, you can mark that. Revelation 11, verses 1 through 3. It says, And there was given me a reed like unto a rod, and the angels stood, saying, Rise, and measure the temple of God, and the altar, and them that worship therein. Verse 2, But the court, which is without the temple, leave out, and measure it not. For it is given unto the Gentiles, and the holy city shall they tread underfoot. How long? Forty and two months. Forty and two months. And I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore days clothed in sackcloth. Here we have two witnesses. The word witness there in the original Greek comes from the Greek word martus, where we get our English word martyr from. So these two witnesses, they are the two martyrs of Revelation. But who are they? Who are the two witnesses of Revelation? Well, before we answer that, let's note that these two witnesses prophesy a thousand two hundred and three score days. And we should notice that the 42 months is the same as the 1,260 days. 42 months, 1,260 days. 42 times 30 in Bible times, a month was 30 days will give you 1,260 prophetic days. Well, we studied already in prophecy, one prophetic day is how many literal years? Is one, one. literal year. So 1,260 prophetic days would be the same as 1,260 literal years. You want the text for a day for a year, Numbers 14.34, Ezekiel 4.6, Genesis 29, verse 27. 42 months, prophetic months, 1,260 prophetic days, or 1,260 literal years. We know, of course, that we have to look to the past for that. There's not going to be 1,260 years in the future when two witnesses will prophesy here on earth clothed in sackcloth. Sackcloth is a symbol of dishonor or mourning. But the question, Father, is who are the two witnesses of Revelation? Well, to answer that, let's just read on. Revelation 14, or 11, rather, verses 4 through 6. Revelation 11, 4 through 6. I hope you're taking notes tonight. It says, these are, you want to know who they are? These are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. And if any man will hurt them, fire proceeds out of their mouth and devours their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. These have power to shut heaven, that it rain not in the days of their prophecy, and have power over waters to turn them to blood and to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. 
Many people have speculated that these two witnesses are Moses and Elijah literally returned to earth at end time because verse 6 tells us these have power to shut heaven. That happened during the days of Elijah. And they have power over waters to turn them into blood and smite the earth with all plagues. And that happened during the days of Moses. But we know these are not two literal men because the Bible tells us because the, going back to Revelation, it says these are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. Not two literal men, but rather symbolism here. We know Revelation is full of symbols, right? We're familiar with symbols. For example, son, what's that? That's Toyota. Oh, that's the taxi. How about that, son? What's that thing? That's Apple Electronics. How about that symbol? What's that a symbol of, son? Well, that's McDonald's, unhealthy food. That's a symbol of junk food, poor health. So we're familiar with symbols, right? We are studying Revelation, which is full of symbols. These two witnesses, two candlesticks, two olive trees, they symbolize something. What do they symbolize? Well, we're not going to guess or speculate. We're going to use our two keys to interpret prophecy. Number one, we must allow the Bible to interpret its own symbols. And number two, we must compare Scripture with Scripture in order to understand Scripture. So we're going to do that. We're going to compare Scripture with Scripture to answer the question, who are the two witnesses? And our Scripture to compare to answer is Zechariah 4, 2 through 6. Put that in your notes. Zechariah 4, verses 2 through 6 says, And he said unto me, What seest thou? And I said, I have looked, and behold, a candlestick, all of gold, with a bowl upon the top of it, and his seven lamps thereon, and seven pipes to the seven lamps, which are upon the top thereof. So there's the candlestick, just like we saw there in Revelation. And to what? Olive trees. Two olive trees by it, one upon the right side of the bowl, the other upon the left side thereof. Just like we saw in Revelation, the two olive trees. So I answered and spake to the angel that talked with me, saying, What are these, my Lord? And then verse 4, these are, well, it said in Revelation, Revelation. 11, 4, these are the two witnesses, the two witnesses, they are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks. So the two olive trees, the two candlesticks, they are the two witnesses. If we can identify who these two olive trees are, what are these, my Lord? That's what Zechariah asked. If we can find out who they are, then we'll know who the two witnesses are. These, the two witnesses, two martyrs, are the two olive trees. So what are the two olive trees? Well, let's read on. Zechariah 4, 2 to 6. Then the angel that talked with me answered and said unto me, Knowest thou not what these be? And I said, No, my Lord. And then, the answer. Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is, this is what? Word of the Lord. The two olive trees, the two candlesticks, the two witnesses. This, the angel said, This is... This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. So what are the two olive trees, son, the two candlesticks, the two witnesses? This is the word of the Lord. 
Now we can answer the question, who are the two witnesses? This is the word of the Lord. We're letting the Bible explain its own symbols. So these two witnesses, they are the word of God. Old Testament, New Testament. Two witnesses. God's word is the greatest witness for God on earth today. Bible tells us in Psalms 119.105, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet. There you see the candlestick symbolized. And a light unto my path. Two witnesses the word of God. But son, does the word of God have power to shut up heaven, turn water to blood, smite the earth with all plagues? Does God's word have that kind of power? Yes, it does. We have discovered tonight that the two witnesses represent the Word of God, Old Testament and New Testament. But what about Moses and Elijah? Do they also represent the Word of God? The answer is yes. Moses represents the law, first five books of the Bible. In fact, if you want a text, put down John 1.17, referring to the law, Moses. And Elijah represents the prophets. In fact, over 30 times in the New Testament, Elijah is mentioned. He's a symbol of the prophets. So Moses represents the law. Elijah represents the prophets. Jesus himself used Moses and the prophets, Moses and Elijah, the law and the prophets, to ratify his ministry. Let's notice that. Luke 24, 27. Here it says, in beginning at Moses, there's Moses. The law. The law and the prophets, that's the rest of the Bible. He expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Moses and Elijah, the law and the prophets, the word of God. Symbolic of the scriptures. Moses, the law, Elijah, the prophets. So the two witnesses are the word of God. Moses representing the Law, Elijah representing the prophets. But the Bible says the two witnesses would prophesy clothed in sackcloth for 1,260 years. We're going to come back in a future lecture and we'll look at those 1,260 years. Have we touched on the 1,260 years already? Yes. That's when Antichrist ruled. We'll come back and look at that later. So we've discovered tonight, Revelations 2, martyrs, two witnesses are, are what? The Word of God. They are the Word of God, Old Testament, New Testament. We want to make this topic practical tonight, though. In the Bible, those who do not obey the two witnesses commit what the Bible calls sin. Have you heard of sin? What is sin, son? Can you define that for us? Well, let's let the Bible define sin for us. We're going to 1 John 3, verse 4. Here the Bible tells us very clearly what is sin. 1 John 3, 4, Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. So now we know what sin is. Sin what? is breaking the law, transgressing the law. What is sin? Sin is the transgression or the breaking of the law. And where there is no law, is there sin? In fact, the Bible itself tells us in Romans 4, verse 15, where there is no law, there is no transgression or there is no sin. 
For example, if there was no law in Manila that you had to wear a helmet when you rode your motorcycle, could the police stop you for not having a helmet on? No. No. Why not? Where there is no law, there is no transgression. Exactly. Now, question. How many of you here believe we have sin in our world today? May I see your hands? All right. Looks like most of us. That means there must be a law. Because where there is no law, there can be no transgression. So we have found that the two witnesses represent the word of God, law and the prophets. And tonight we're going to focus on the first witness, the law. In a later lecture, we'll come back and look at the prophets. Did you know that God himself wrote his law? In fact, there's only one part of the Bible God wrote, and that's his law. If we want to throw away any part of the Bible, we should not throw away the part that God himself wrote. Let's notice that from Exodus 31, verse 18. It says, And he, God, gave unto Moses, when he had made an end of communing with him upon Mount Sinai, two tables of testimony, tables of stone, written with the finger of God. Exodus 31, 18. Who wrote this? God did. How did he write it? With his finger. What do you write it on? On stone to show its enduring nature. So if we're going to discredit any part of the Bible, we shouldn't discredit the part that God wrote himself with his own finger. God's law is ten commandments. Don't you wish there were only ten laws in the Philippines? But God's law is so broad that it encompasses every thought, word, and action. But he only has ten commandments. Let's go read God's law tonight, Exodus 20, verses 3 through 17. We'll look at it commandment by commandment. We'll begin in the first commandment. You'll want to have that in your notes. If you want to look at God's law in your own Bible, Exodus 20, 3 through 17. It says, the first commandment is Exodus 20, verse 3. God says, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Very short commandment, but again, a very broad commandment. God says, don't have any other gods before me. Whatever is number one priority in our lives becomes our God. You can make a job, a God out of anything. You can make a God out of your work or your income or your gadgets or whatever is number one priority that you love to think about the most becomes your God. God says, put me first in your life. That's the first commandment. That's why Jesus said, seek ye, what? First. First, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Let's go to the second commandment now. Exodus 20, 4 through 6. God said, thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth, thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. There really is the essence of true religion. Loving God and obeying God. That's why Jesus said in John 14, verse 15, he said, if you love me, 
Keep my commandments. He's really quoting from the second commandment, which says, those who love God and keep his commandments. So Jesus is directly quoting from Exodus here. Please notice that the second commandment forbids bowing down to graven images. Bowing down to an image of Buddha, that would really be breaking the second commandment. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them, God says. Let's go on now to the third commandment, Exodus 20, verse 7. Here the Bible says, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. So God says to use his name reverently, not with all the cuss words and expletives. God says when you use his name, use it reverently. That's what he says in the third commandment. Do they have curse words in Tagalog? I know they do in English. You don't want to use them. You probably have some in Tagalog too. Let's go now to the fourth commandment, Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11. God says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou nor thy son nor thy daughter, thy manservant nor thy maidservant nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. So God says you need to take a break. One day a week you need to set aside to rest. Sort of like a vacation. And I would say in our stressed world today, we need that commandment. We need to set aside one day a week for worship, for rest, to unwind, to de-stress. So that was the first four commandments. The first four commandments deal with our relationship with God, while the last six commandments deal with our relationship with one another. Let's go on now to the fifth commandment. This is Exodus 20, verse 12. Exodus 20, verse 12 says, God says, Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. So this fifth commandment, the apostle says, is the first commandment with promise. Father, do we still need the fifth commandment? Is it relevant? I think so. How about you parents? So do we still need that commandment today? Oh, yes. Still relevant. There was a tourist who visited America, and they asked him what was it that most impressed him about America. And he said it was how well the children obeyed, or the, the parents obeyed their children. It should be the other way around. God says to honor your father and mother. But what if your father and mother tell you to disobey God? Then who should you obey? Well, the first, first commandment. commandment, God says to put him first. But we're still obligated to love, to respect, and to reverence our parents. When I was growing up, I remember my mother, when I disobeyed, she had a drawer in the kitchen. She'd pull out that drawer, and in the drawer, she had a stick that was about that long, and was about that wide, and about that thick. And she would take me into the bedroom and apply the board of education on my backside. I don't know. I probably didn't get enough of those spankings. Now, we're not talking about beating up on your children. 
but we should teach our children to obey. If we don't teach them to obey their parents, do you think they'll obey God? Probably not. Let's go now to the sixth commandment. Verse 13, Exodus 20, verse 13, God says, Thou shalt not kill. Do we need that commandment today? That's the commandment somebody ought to read to Hollywood. Seems like all they do is feed us these violent movies, people killing one another. If we followed that commandment, we wouldn't have all these wars and all these murders and all these abortions and all the killing. And that commandment includes yourself. Don't kill yourself. You can kill yourself slowly, you know. One puff at a time. The doctor will tell you every cigarette you smoke, you're cutting 14 and a half minutes off your life. That's death slowly. Killing yourself slowly. Don't kill. God says, thou shalt not kill. Let's go on now to the seventh commandment, and this one is also a very short one. God says, thou shalt not commit adultery. That's another commandment they should read to Hollywood. It's what they often feed us. Now they even have internet sites that are helping married people to commit adultery. God says, thou shalt not commit adultery. The positive aspect of the seventh commandment is God says to be pure. If we would follow this seventh commandment, we wouldn't have all these broken homes and all of this perversion in society. It's estimated that in America, one out of every four men and one out of every five women that are married has had an affair. You think it's any better in the Philippines? Somebody said the same? We need more of that seventh commandment. Let's go now to the eighth one. Verse 15, Exodus 20, verse 15. God says, thou shalt not steal. Nobody steals in Manila, right? Why are you laughing? You're not stealing, are you? <laughs> I was, some years ago, I was in Budapest, Hungary, capital of the country of Hungary. We were staying in an apartment we came downstairs one day, and our neighbor's car was missing its wheels. And I thought, I wonder what happened to the guy's wheels. I mean, the car is sitting up on these blocks, and the wheels are gone. And later that day, I saw the police had come, and the neighbor was there with the police, and they were filling out some report. Somebody had come along at night and stolen his car wheels. I wish people would follow that commandment. Thou shalt not steal. Did you know that in 2008, office theft in America was almost $1 trillion, $994 billion office theft in America? It's estimated that 75% of employees steal from their employers. God said, what did God say? Thou shalt not steal. That's what God said. I think we need that commandment in society today. Let's go on now to the ninth commandment, Exodus 20, verse 16. Here God says, Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. So God says, in simple words, to be honest. And science has actually shown how that telling lies, being dishonest, 
can affect your health. Here is one study that said, research has linked telling lies to an increased risk of cancer, increased risk of obesity, anxiety, depression, addiction, gambling, poor work satisfaction, and poor relationships. God says not to bear false witness, not to be dishonest. Be honest, even if others won't. Even if others, have you seen the sign? It's not just for the politicians. It's for us too. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Tenth commandment now, verse 17. God says, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor his new Toyota. Well, it doesn't say Toyota. I'm just updating it to our modern society. Nor anything that is thy neighbor's. God is telling us, be content with what you have. Now tell me, is there anything wrong with those Ten Commandments? We need more of those Ten Commandments, not less of them in society. Those Ten Commandments are actually the Ten Keys for Peace and Happiness. They were not written to restrict our liberties. They were written to protect our liberties and to preserve us from what would be harmful, dangerous to us. That's why the Bible says in Psalms 119, verse 1, Blessed or happy are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. You want to be happy? Then you must walk in the law of the Lord. If you're stealing, you're always wondering when they're going to catch me. You don't have peace. You want to have happiness? Walk in the law of the Lord. Now, question, who wrote this law? How did he write it? With his finger. What did he write it on? Stone. On stone to show its enduring nature. But God doesn't simply want us to know about his law. He wants us to obey his law. Let's read about that from Romans 2 verse 13. Here the Bible says, For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. Now here we need to be careful. And we need to ask the question, why should we obey the law? Why should we do the law? To earn salvation? Can you earn your salvation, son? No, you can't earn your salvation. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So you cannot earn salvation. Salvation is by grace, not of works, since that is true, then why bother obeying God? Well, son, let's get the answer from Jesus. John 14, verse 15, Jesus said, If you love me, you do not need to keep my commandments. Huh? What version was that? Is that the new disobedience version? <laughs> Is that what it says? No. no, that's not what the Bible says. If Jesus said, If you love me, what? Keep my commandments. Why do we keep the law? Not because we're trying to earn salvation. Why? Because we love Jesus. Because we love Jesus. Love becomes the motive. In Matthew twenty-two thirty-six to 40, a lawyer came to Jesus and asked him a question. Master, which is the great commandment in the law? And notice 
what Jesus says. Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And you can read that commandment in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy 6, verse 5. Loving God. We must love God with all of our heart, soul, and mind. That's not a New Testament commandment. It's Old Testament too. And then reading on, it says... Well, if I love God, let me back up for a moment, son. If I love God with all my heart, soul, and mind, will I take his name in vain? Yes or no? No. Will I have other gods before him? Yes or no? So the first four commandments show me how to love God with all my heart, soul, and mind. Let's go on now. And the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And you can read that also in the Old Testament. Leviticus 19, verse 18, we're supposed to love our neighbor. That's an Old Testament commandment. If I love my neighbor as myself, will I lie to him? No. Will I commit adultery with his wife? No. No. So the last six commandments show me how to love my neighbor as I love myself. And then Jesus said, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. What are those two commandments? Loving God, loving our neighbor. That's what the law and the prophets hang on. There you have the two witnesses, the law and the prophets. They hang on love. We keep the first four commandments because we love God. We keep the last six commandments because we love our neighbor as ourselves. Love then becomes the motive for obeying, for obedience. So the two witnesses provide us the keys to peace and happiness. The law of God provides the keys to peace and happiness. It points out those areas in our life that are spoiling or destroying our happiness. That's why the psalmist says, Blessed or happy are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. God's law is also likened to a mirror. You can read that if you're taking notes. Mark down the text. James 1, 23 through 25, where the Bible says, James 1, 23, For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. So there we have the mirror. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgets what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, there's the mirror, we look into the law of liberty. Whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continues therein, he being not a forgetful here, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. So here we see that God's law is like a mirror to reveal to us our condition. Now, son... How many of those Ten Commandments can, we, can I break and still not sin? Well, let's read the answer from James 2, verse 10. This is an important verse. James 2, verse 10. For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of how much? All. So I cannot break even the least commandment without being guilty of breaking the whole law. How much of the mirror can you break without breaking the mirror? It's sort of like a chain that has 10 links. If you break one link, you broke the chain. 
Now, there is one thing God's law cannot do, cannot cleanse us. That's not its purpose. The law is like the mirror. Uh, let me illustrate. Ladies, have you ever come home and you look in the mirror and you see that your lipstick has gotten onto your teeth and some of it's on your nose? You think, oh, how long have I gone around looking the fool like this? What do you do, lady? You take the mirror off the wall, you take it outside, and you throw it, you take it to the junk shop or throw it in the trash. You say, I do away with the mirror. Your husband comes home and goes in the CR. He says, honey, where's the mirror? You say, I threw it away because I didn't like what I saw. Your husband's thinking, what's happened to my wife? <laughs> what do you do, lady? You look in the mirror, you see that your face is uh, a mess. You get a hammer, you smash the mirror. I hate you for showing me this picture. Your husband comes home and says, what happened to the mirror? You say, I broke it because I didn't like what I saw. Your husband's wondering, what's happened? What do you do, lady? Do you take the mirror off the wall and try to clean the, your face with the mirror? You'll end up with a bigger mess than you already have. The mirror simply tells you you have a problem. Where do you go for help? You get out, what is it, the ladies? You get out what, the, the paint stripper, the lacquer thinner. I don't know. I don't wear this stuff. Whatever you use to clean it off with, you clean your face. And then what do you do? You look back in the mirror. You say, oh, it's clean, still ugly, but at least it's clean. That's what God's law is like. When I look in the law, I see that I'm a sinner. Son, where do I go for cleansing? Well, you go to Jesus for cleansing. That's why the Bible says in 1 John 1, 7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. And then the Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So where do we go for cleansing? We go to Jesus. We look in the mirror. We see that we're sinners. And then we go to Jesus for cleansing. Mark this. If God could have set aside his law, then Jesus would not have to die. Instead of setting aside his law, God sent Jesus down here to pay the penalty where we broke God's law. His blood cleanses us. But now, son, what about a person who claims to be a Christian but doesn't keep the commandments. Well, let's see what the Bible says about those kind of people. 1 John 2, verses 3 and 4. 1 John 2, 3 and 4. And hereby we do know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. So the Bible says, if a person says, he knows Jesus, he's a Christian, but he doesn't keep his commandments. He's not just lying, he is a liar. Now here's the good news tonight. Under the new covenant, God writes his law in our hearts, in our minds, so that it's easy to keep his law. Hebrews 8, 10 and 10, 16. You may have heard of Old, Test Old Covenant, New Covenant. In the new covenant, God writes his law on our hearts when it's in your heart, then you want to do it. That's why the psalmist says in Psalms 40, verse 8, I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is where? In my heart. 
within my heart, when it's in your heart, then you delight to do God's will. That's why Jesus himself said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Love becomes the motive. The Ten Commandments are the standard. And Jesus provides the power. But there's another question we need to consider this evening. Some people say, I thought the law was nailed to the cross. Was the law nailed to the cross? Is there only one witness left now? Is there no law? If there's no law, then there's no sin. Well, there was something that was nailed to the cross. Let's go read about it from Colossians 2, verse 14. Colossians 2, verse 14 here it says, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. So here we read about the handwriting of ordinances. Was God's law written with the hand or with the finger? Finger written. It was written with the finger, but here we read about a handwriting of ordinances. That was nailed to the cross. So there was a law that was nailed to the cross. Did you know there are two laws in the Bible? There's God's law, the Ten Commandments, and then there is Moses' law of ceremonies. Let's prove that. Daniel 9, put this in your notes, verses 10 and 11. That's easy. Daniel 9, 10, and 11. Well, chapter 9, verses 10 and 11. Daniel, in prayer to God, says, Neither have we obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in His laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. Yea, all Israel have transgressed thy law, even by departing, that they might not obey thy voice. Therefore, the curse is poured upon us, and the oath that is written in the, what? Law the law of Moses, the servant of God, because we have sinned against him. Do you see two laws there? We have God's law, and we have the law of Moses. God's law was written by who? God. It's written by God. How did he write it? Finger. With his finger. And on what did he write it? Stone. Wrote it on stone. Moses' law was written by who? Written by Moses. Now, of course, God told him what to write, but Moses was the one who wrote it down. And it was not written on stone. It was written in a book. You can read that in Deuteronomy 31, 24 to 26. Moses' law was written in a book. So we have these two. We have the ten, and we have the book. The ten commandments of God were written with the finger of God. Book of the law written by the hand of Moses. Ten commandments written on stone. The book of the law was written in a book. And the ten commandments were inside the ark. The book of the law was on the outside of the ark in a compartment on the outside. You can see here in our painting... The Ten Commandments inside the ark. The book of the law was put in a compartment on the outside. Two laws. There are two laws in the Bible. Moses' law had to do with what, son? Well, it had to do with offering sacrifices. It had to do with ceremonies that were pointing forward to Christ. We studied in Daniel 9 that when Christ died on the cross, all those ceremonies came to an end. Let's read that, Daniel 9, 27. This is a review from the other night. And he, who is the he? That's Jesus. He shall confirm the covenant with many for one week, and in the middle of the week he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to, to stop. 
you remember that in the Old Testament, according to the law of Moses, when you sinned, you had to bring a sacrifice. When Jesus died on the cross, he put an end to all those sacrifices. So what happened to the law of sacrifices? It was nailed, nailed to the cross. That's why in the New Testament, when you read about a law that was nailed to the cross, that was done away with, we know that's Moses' law. We don't have to offer lambs anymore. Jesus fulfilled that. But when you read in the New Testament about obeying God, then you know that's referring to the Ten Commandment law of God. Two laws. Now, someone might be thinking tonight, well, doesn't the Bible actually say that we're not under the law, but we're under grace? Well, yes, it does. Let's go read that. Romans six fourteen through 16. And let's see what the Bible actually teaches. Here the apostle says, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. People say, well, see, that means since you're not under the law, you're under grace. You don't have to keep the law anymore. But notice what the Bible says in the next verse. Paul says, what then? What do I mean? Shall we sin? What is sin? Breaking God's law. Breaking the law. Shall we sin? Shall we break God's law because we're not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. What does it mean to be under the law? Let me illustrate. Some years ago, in fact, this is many years ago, before my son was born, before I was married, I moved from California to Colorado. And being new to the town, we moved into the area of Loveland, Colorado. I was not familiar with the various speed zones there. And you may have heard that in America, they have very strict speed limits. And if you go too fast, you can get a ticket, just like not wearing a helmet here in, the, in Manila. So I came driving in one day after I had moved from California into Loveland, Colorado. And I was driving a friend's car, big American car. I love to drive this car because it had so much power. And I came cruising into Loveland, Colorado, and I was driving highway speed. You understand that in America, on the highway, you can drive fast. But when you enter the city limits, you got to slow down. Well, I had entered the boundary of the city, and I was still driving as fast as the highway. And as I was driving along, suddenly I saw a car parked on a side street with those lights on the top. You know, the police car. And instantly I began to think, oh, I'm probably going too fast. I saw a speed limit sign, and it said in miles per hour, is 30 miles per hour. It's about 50, 60 kilometers. And I was going twice that. Well, I stepped on the brake, but it was too late. The radar, that policeman had his radar gun aimed right at me, and his radar gun had clocked me speeding. So as I went sailing past, he was on a side street, and I went right past him, he turned on his lights, and I knew right away who he was after. So I pulled over, and he came up behind me with his flashing lights. I was hoping that none of my friends would come by about now. And then he came, got out of his car, he came up to my car, he said, sir, you were going a bit fast there. I said, yes, I'm sorry. I wasn't paying attention. He said, let me see your documents. So I pulled out my wallet. I had a California driver's license. What state am I in? Colorado. I had a California driver's license. The car I was driving was registered in California. 
It had a California plate on the back, and it didn't belong to me. It was a friend's car. Not a very good situation. Well, anyway, he went back to his uh, police car, and they have, you know, they with their satellite connections, they can do a record check on me. So he did a record check. And he came back a few minutes later. He was holding my California driver's license. He said, sir, you have an out-of-state driver's license, and you are speeding inside city limits. And I'm thinking, what's this going to cost? In America, tickets are expensive. And sometimes when they get really mad at you, they, do, they double the price. And there are even situations where they triple the price. So instead of $150, it's like $500 or more. And I'm thinking, what's this going to cost me? He said, sir, you have an out-of-state driver's license. You were speeding within the boundary of, Col of Loveland, Colorado. According to the law of Colorado, I should take you to jail. Jail. I'd never been to jail except to visit the people in jail, prison ministry. But to go to jail for a crime? Was I under the law? <laughs> yes. And I was wishing about them that I'd been paying attention to the speed, but I'd gotten caught. I'm, I'm sure the shock registered all over my face. Policeman, he said, well, sir, he looked at me. I mean, I was dumb, dumb, dumbstruck. I didn't know what to say. He said, sir, uh, he said, I only have two options. And I thought, what's worse than going to jail? He said, sir, I either have to take you to jail today or I have to let you go. In other words, he's got to give me grace. Well, I don't remember exactly what I told him, but I, something to the effect, sir, have mercy upon me. I'm new to Loveland. I just moved from California, something like that. He said, all right, sir, I'll let you go this time, but what came after the but? The speed limit in Loveland, Colorado is about 60 kilometers, 30 miles an hour. I expect you to drive the speed limit. I said, yes, sir. Thank you, sir. He gave me back my documents. He wrote out a warning. No ticket, just a warning. And then he went back, turned off those flashing lights. Now, am I under the law or under grace? I'm under grace now. It felt so good. I turned the key on that big American car, and I went screaming out of there as fast as I could drive because I'm under grace now. I don't have to keep the law. Right? Hmm. There was at least one driver in Loveland, Colorado that day that was driving the speed limit, a little bit below the speed limit, and that was your preacher, under grace, but keeping the law. I was twice obligated to keep the law now. First of all, I knew what, it, I knew what the speed limit was. I couldn't plead ignorance. And secondly, out of appreciation for that kind policeman that gave me grace when I didn't deserve it. Now, really, the illustration fails because that policeman, he simply set aside the law. That's not what God does. God sent Jesus down to pay the penalty where we broke his law. So he can give us grace because he paid the price. Shall we abuse his grace because we're under grace? No. Uh, What's Paul say? 
Paul says, Romans 3.31, Do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid. Yea, we establish the law. Let's go back to Revelation 11 tonight. We started there. Let's wind up there. Revelation 11 verse 19 says, And the temple of God was opened in heaven, and there was seen in his temple the, the what? Ark. The ark of his testament, and there were lightnings and voices and thunderings and an earthquake and great hail. Son, what is inside the ark? Well, inside the ark is the law, the Ten Commandments. So there you see it even in heaven. Tonight, we recognize that the world needs God's law. Does the Philippines need God's law? I think yes, so. Yes, every country does. And we do too, each of us. We need God's law. Would you like to be happy? The Bible says, blessed, happy are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. Do you love Jesus? How many of you love Jesus? May I see your hands? There is hope for you. God's law will set you free. There is hope for you. It's the law of liberty. There is hope for you who obey God lovingly. There is hope in Christ for you. There is hope for you. God will write his law upon your heart. There is hope for you. Loving Jesus is the place to start. There is hope for you. God will his strength and power impart. So there is hope in Christ for you. Jesus says, would you read with us all together? If, if you, you love me, keep, keep my, my commandments. commandments. Would you like to ask Jesus tonight to write his law upon your heart? How many want to ask him to do that? May I see your hands? Let's pray for that as we end our meeting tonight. And I'll invite you to stand with us as we pray. Don't forget, tomorrow night, we'll be studying the topic that Satan really hates. But don't miss it. Let's bow our heads as we pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us a standard so that we can know what is right from what is wrong. We do love you, Lord. We ask you to write your law upon our hearts we might find delight in doing your will. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.